Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. 20 minutes. Give me just 25 minutes. For the next 30 minutes, for the rest of your life, you need to hear, seriously, whatever you know, nothing is as important as this, who Jesus is and why he died. Nothing is as important as that fact. Unlike other religions, Christianity is not a theory, a philosophy, an ideology. It is founded on an historical person named Jesus Christ and the fact of his death and resurrection. And all of human history, from the first sin of our first parents, has been yearning, anticipating, leaning into the coming of a Savior, the God-man Jesus Christ. And he came into human history, and he lived, and he died. We have been in the Gospel of Luke for more than two years, and the entire storyline of the Bible, the longing of human history, and the Gospel of Luke itself culminates now in the most important death of the most important person in the history of the world. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 23. We begin at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, so this is Jesus on the way to crucifixion, on the way to execution. They seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Or if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus is telling them, the only thing worse than what I'm about to suffer is what you will suffer if you don't belong to me. Jesus is addressing the women, but he's speaking to the entire nation of Israel, those who supposed, assumed that they were the people of God. They were religious, they were moral, but they did not trust in Jesus' righteousness. They trusted in their own, and as a result, they rejected Him when they should have received Him. Luke tells us two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Him to be executed. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 12, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, that He would be put to death with the wicked. So Jesus is crucified between two guilty sinners. When they came to the place called the skull, we may know it in better terms either as Golgotha, which is Hebrew, or Calvary, which is is Latin, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
And now the scoffers, the cynics, the mockers, they were about to raise their voice, and you'll hear that in just a moment. You know, what kind of king is this? Homeless, broke. What kind of king is he? What kind of kingdom has he brought? They were unimpressed. And some of you may be in that same position. You'd, you don't think that Jesus is all that special. You're not that impressed. You are expecting far more. And what does Jesus say to those who have unbelief? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's amazing. That's extraordinary that Jesus, He doesn't speak to them, but He prays for them. Just as He prays for you and me, He intercedes on our behalf and here he says, Father, forgive them. Let me say two things about this. Number one, it seems as if there is nothing you can do that Jesus can't forgive. If he can forgive his murderers, if he can proclaim forgiveness to them, he can forgive anyone of anything. doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus forgives those who sin against him and others. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. He can and does forgive. And the second thing we've got to point out here is that it's never too late. He's even, he's even providing the invitation to these two thieves who are ready to die at any moment on his right and his left. Anyone at any time can come to Jesus. I know that most of you have probably heard that Christianity is a narrow religion. The truth is, Christianity is narrow. All must pass through the narrow door of faith, through the person and work, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is exclusive. It's not true that every religion leads to God. But not only is Christianity exclusive... It's also inclusive. It's the most inclusive. Jesus welcomes everyone to repent. He welcomes everyone to trust in Him. He welcomes everyone to have their sins forgiven. In this moment, these are not good people around Him. They've not lived a good life. One man to His side will receive Him in faith. We'll show that in just a moment. This man has lived his whole life presumably doing evil and he admits it publicly. Yet in the last moment, by the grace of Jesus, he is forgiven. So Jesus Christ is exclusive. There is no other God. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. And yet he is incredibly inclusive. All languages, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people, all sins are welcome to be forgiven by Jesus who cries out, Father, forgive them. And you know what? God has been answering that prayer for 2,000 years. Luke says that they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
It was prophesied in Psalm 22, verse 18, 1,000 years before Jesus was born, that as he was dying, people would be casting lots for his clothing. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, this is where Christian faith begins. It begins with an acknowledgement, with this assessment. I'm a sinner. You can't blame it on your parents. You can't blame it on your culture. You can't blame it on your personality type. You can't blame it on genetics. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. We sin in our thoughts. Aren't you glad other people can't hear or see what you're thinking? We sin in our words. Have you ever said or typed something that you really regret? We sin in our deeds. Have you ever done something that you know is wrong? We sin in our motives. Maybe even doing a good thing, but how many times is it to manipulate others or get praise ourselves? I mean, have you ever gotten angry and upset when people don't compliment you for something that you did? We sin through commission. That is, we do stuff that we're not supposed to do. And we sin through omission where we fail to do the stuff we should. We're all sinners. And this criminal on the cross acknowledged that. He basically says, I'm guilty. I deserve it. They're crucifying me, and I'm not even about to defend myself. But this Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. He's without sin. He's not like us. So he looks at the Lord Jesus, and you've got to just visualize this moment if you can. Jesus is on the cross. And you know what he's not thinking of? Himself. He's thinking about people who are killing him. Father, forgive them. And he's having a conversation with this man by his side. The man said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last The centurion, seeing what had happened, 
praised God and said. Now, this is a Roman guard. Surely this man was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts as a sign of mourning and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now we know what just happened. Jesus died on a cross. But the most important question is why? Why did the worst thing happen to the best person who's ever lived? Well, the short answer is this is what we call the good news. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. This is good news. Why is Good Friday good? Jesus died. It's good because he died for you. Isaiah 53, 5, you heard Dick read that a little bit earlier. Again, a reminder, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, God, who wrote this book, could predict the future. Part of that line says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Another word for sins. Do you have any sins? That's why Jesus died. So you can't say, I'm a good person. You should say, Jesus is a good Savior. You don't need to say, you know, I've lived a good life. You need to say, I haven't lived a good life. Jesus lived a perfect life. And then the other half of that line, he was crushed for our iniquities. What happened to Jesus is what happens to all who don't trust in him. They suffer in a horrific way. But friends, here's the good news. If you trust in Jesus, God does not punish you. Don't think when you're suffering that God is punishing you somehow. Sometimes you reap what you sow. Sometimes it's a cause and effect. The Bible does say, both in Proverbs and in Hebrews, that just like a dad who loves his kid corrects him, God will correct us, but he never punishes us. Right now, you need to know, if you're in Christ, God doesn't, God hasn't, and God won't punish you because Jesus was punished in your place as a substitute for your sins. So when you're suffering, don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Don't ask, why are you punishing me? Tell him, thank you for enduring my punishment. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 4, 25. He, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins, yours and mine. Now here's what I don't want you to hear. Paul's a good person. He gave us a lecture on how to be a good person. No. Paul, this Paul, is by nature an enemy of God. And God saved him, loved him, forgave him, adopted him. And that's the grace of God. 
And this Paul can't get over that. And this Paul is wanting you to have the same thing. You see, there is a hero. It's not you or me. It's always Jesus. And less than one chapter later, in Romans 5, 8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. You wonder if God loves you? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can look at the cross and say, I know God loves me. He became a man. He lived without sin. He lived the life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I should have died. And he gives the gift that I cannot earn. I know God loves me, not because he's given me wealth or health or comfort or convenience, but because God gave me himself. God gave me his son. God gave me salvation. God does love you so deeply, so passionately, so intimately, so perfectly, that when he chose to give to you, he gave you himself, your loved. And you're loved in a way that nobody could ever love you. Not with that kind of perfect, unbroken, unyielding love. And here's what's wonderful about the love of God given through the death of Jesus, because here's the truth. We are not just undeserving, we are ill-deserving. But because you didn't deserve the love of God, you can't undeserve the love of God. Because you didn't take it, He gave it, you can't lose it. You see, once Jesus decides to love you, there's nothing you can do about that forever. And that's good news. Now, here's what you need to know. We are at a sacred moment. We are at a divine moment. We are at a moment that God chose in eternity past. See, the Bible says elsewhere that God determines the times and the places in which we live. We're not here by happenstance or circumstance. You and I are here by providence. God wants you. God knows you. God loves you. God is pursuing you. God cares for you. And God is wanting for you to respond to Him by trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, you need Jesus. Whatever you're dealing with, first things first. What's most important? You and Jesus. He has done everything to love you, to forgive you, to pursue you. And His arms are extended. And that is an invitation for you to run to a God who loves you. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.